Now, this morning, we are continuing in our series, in our look at the book of Malachi. We're still in Malachi chapter 2. We've got two more lessons left, uh, sessions left after this morning. And so there is a six-week series, uh, six different uh, sermons in the book of Malachi. And I have just thoroughly enjoyed our time in this short but incredibly deep and profound book that challenges us to take a deep look look in the mirror, the spiritual mirror, uh, and, and say, uh, how does my life and my heart need to be realigned with God's word and God's will? And so just real quick, as I have been, I want to uh, just give us a glimpse of what we looked at and saw last week and then tell us just a, a brief summary of where God is leading us in his word this morning. And as we look at what we saw last week as we are in the first nine verses of Malachi chapter 2 and in looking at that we saw that the call of God's people to be missional is not optional. As in this uh, address to the priests, the Lord is telling them how they have stepped out of line with their initial call, which was to make God's name great among the nations. And the priests were to lead the people in worshiping him and making his name great. And they have so altered their practices and their heart has not been impacted by God's word that they have stopped doing the very thing which they were created to do. And so we saw God point them back to Levi and, and say how Levi walked in accordance to God's word as kind of a look back of how the priesthood was started so that they can see how far they've come. Because again, as we've addressed, they didn't stop giving the sacrifices. That wasn't the issue. The issue was that they were giving unacceptable sacrifices, that they, they weren't taking the best, that they were taking just whatever was there, whatever they wanted to offer. And so that the heart of their worship is what needs to be changed, not the practice of it. And so as we looked at last week's nine verses, we saw that God is always at work for his glory and that that will be my good. That his glory achieved and, and uh, purposed in me is what is best for me. Not when I get what I want, but what, when he is lived out in me. And so we saw that disobedience always comes with great consequence. As the Lord is issuing these different things, these different punishments, and saying that I wish you would just shut the temple doors so that no more unacceptable sacrifices would be made. And then he goes as far to say in chapter 1 where we saw that he said, in fact, I will no longer accept a sacrifice from your hands. And so we saw last week that God's word exposes our disobedience, that it propels us to action, and that he equips us to spread his glory. As we saw God say that true instruction was on the mouth of Levi. And as we finished last week, we saw that I in turn have made you despise and humiliated before all people because you are not keeping my ways, but showing partiality in your instruction. And so in looking back, we see that we must guard the gospel and we must spread the gospel. So that's what we saw last week in looking forward and, and to seeing what God has in store for us today. I want us to, as we've been doing, look back and God has, again, been constantly pointing them back to the original covenant that he made with them to show them how they, so far they've come. As it has been quite the week for us 
here at Southside. As Monday evening sent all of us to our knees, especially for our sweet friends, the McGee's. But to think of where we were Monday evening to where we are now is pretty remarkable to see what God has done in and through his people and in and through us as his church. And I'll tell you, church, as your pastor, to see everyone respond as we did, not, in simply, uh, not out of simply our love for, for Ada or the McGee's, or of which we have much, but out of confidence in God's word and in God's ways and in God's power to act. And then to see God respond as he did by showing his grace and power in Ada and in us, it has just been truly humbling. And it reminds me of what we read in Psalm 146.5, which reads, Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. And in looking back on how God has worked through us this week, I cannot help but see the truth of this psalm. As in John Piper, in speaking on Psalm 146.5, says this, God is pleased when his children walk into difficult situations with confident hope that their strong, wise father will help them. And that is exactly what we've seen this week is the Lord responding and using his church to lift up one of our own to him and to do so with the confidence that he will act and that he is where our confidence and our hope is found. And so this morning, as we look to God's word, we will be challenged to consider what a good gift God's gift is of our fellowship to us. To see that our unity is not something that we can take lightly. To see that our gathering each and every week is not something that we must look at uh, and take without uh, great gratefulness to God, but that, we must, that it must be maintained through humble submission to God's word. And that sometimes this comes at the necessity of holding one another to account according to God's word. And as we look to God's word this morning, my desire is that for those of us that are in Christ, that we will be moved to a deeper appreciation of God's grace to us in the cross and in our fellowship, and in our families. And for any who may be here this morning who are not in Christ, my prayer for you is that you would see that the community that you seek, that which you desire, the relationship that you need and and are indeed created for can only be found in a relationship with God through through the work of Christ on the cross and with his church. And so, as with all that in mind, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. As we read our verses for this morning, our text for this morning comes from Malachi chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 10 through 16. Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Don't all of us have one Father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another? profaning the covenant of our fathers. Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. 
May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. This is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask, why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this deep look at your word that you have given us over these last several weeks. And we look with anticipation and excitement of what you will show us and reveal to us today through your word and in the weeks ahead. And God, I pray that you would just focus our minds and our hearts attention on you and help us to humble ourselves at your word and at your work in uniting us together as a church and asking us and calling us to join you in your work and in your mission to make your name known among the nations. God, help us to hold one another accountable to your word and then join together in lifting one another up and bearing one another's burdens so that you can be glorified in our fellowship and in our community. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, to this point, God has time and again pointed the Israelites back to look at and remember their covenant with him. As the Lord in this pronouncement through his servant, through his messenger Malachi, has constantly pointed them back to the original covenant. And we've looked time and again at the book of Deuteronomy and seen what the Lord was referring to at different points in this proclamation to the people. And he's showing them just how far they've fallen as his covenant people, as his covenant community of faith. And what we see in this morning's text continues this pattern by pointing to the brokenness of their marriages as an example of their broken relationship with God. And we saw that there in verse 10. We begin with these questions. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now, there's something unique about today's passage that I want to point out to us. Because up to this point, we have yet to hear any significant word come from Malachi himself. As he's simply been communicating what the Lord God of armies, and we've seen that title time and again, what the Lord is saying to the people. Now, this morning we get to hear from Malachi. As the overwhelming majority of what we've read and heard and seen has been the Lord's proclamation through Malachi. In today's passage, Malachi speaks in a bold and authoritative way, not based on his authority, but on the Lord's. And in doing so, Malachi begins by challenging the people to once again remember their covenant beginnings. And in asking, don't all of us have one father? 
He is once again calling them to remember their origins and identity as the covenant people of God, beginning with Abraham. And then he takes it even a step further as Malachi doesn't stop with just the covenant of Abraham, but he takes it further by asking, didn't one God create us? And so here we see Malachi challenging the people's actions according to not just their identity as the covenant people of God, but also according to their identity as those who have been created in the image of God. He wants them to remember who it is that started them, who it is that covenanted with them and gave them the identity they have and gave them the, the, sta- the station that they have in life and why God did that. And this has been the repeated theme time and again that the Lord wants them to remember that his name will be great among the nations. And this was their purpose, was to lift high the banner of God's glory for all the surrounding nations to see that they may know who the one true God is. And that they've fallen so far from that. And God continuously reminds them, my name will be made known. You aren't doing it, but my name will be made known. And just to remind us of where we, what we are seeing, kind of one of our overarching themes in the book of Malachi is that the Lord is encouraging them to correct these things because one is coming. He is preparing to send his messenger to get things right with God before Messiah comes. Not to just simply wait around until that time. And so based on these identifiers that Malachi highlights, he challenges them with a third question. Since we are created in the image of God and since God united us as his covenant people, Malachi asks, why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? And this highlights a few things which will be central to our time in God's word this morning. As it highlights the importance of living out faith in biblical community. As time and again, the Lord and now here Malachi reminds them that they have covenanted together. That this is to unite them in the Lord. That it's the Lord who has united them as one. And we'll dive into that here in a little bit. But it also highlights that we must place a priority on remembering God's faithfulness to us in accordance with his plans and purposes. Which brings us to our first point on your outline, which I provided for you this morning, is that when we fail to remember who God is and what God has done, we prepare the way for disobedience. That when we fail to remember what God has said and what he has commanded us and how he has commanded us to live in accordance with his ways and purposes. We prepare the way. We make it that much easier. We don't need any help with disobedience. But when we do that, when we forget who God is and what he's done, we make it that much easier for us to live a life of disobedience. And this is what is being highlighted time and again for the people, that they have forgotten who they are And they've, more importantly, forgotten whose they are. And that because they have forgotten this, this is what has led them on this consistent and constant downward spiral of disobedience. And as we look back and think on what God has shown us to this point, one of the overwhelming themes that we have seen is that God is continuing to challenge the people to look back in order to better understand what he is doing now. 
that because you are not living in this way, in my ways, and you consistently pursue your ways, this is what has led us to this moment. And this is one of our main points from session one of this series, as we saw that God's past faithfulness gives us insight into his present purposes. And in fact, throughout the entire Bible, we see God in the Old Testament as the people continually prove themselves unfaithful. God points them back to his covenant faithfulness, that he has been faithful to the covenant time and again. But it's their disobedience and their and pursuing their ways that has caused them to time and again walk in disobedience. And the whole purpose is that they may remember his covenant love and that they may submit to his work and to submit to what he is doing and has done in their lives. And we see this theme continued here in today's passage as Malachi echoes the message that in order for the people to correct their current condition, they need to refer back to their belongings, and specifically back to what God did in founding them as a covenant people and uniting them together and making them great. And the fact that we finally hear from Malachi himself, and the first thing that he emphasizes is that their identity as the covenant community of faith created and called And purposed by God himself points us to how crucial the community of faith is when it comes to our lives. Everything that we see God doing throughout the Old Testament, we see him doing to establish, strengthen, or protect the community of faith. Everything he does, he does as he speaks to individuals. Those individuals are then to communicate what he says to the community so that they may worship him together united in one purpose, and that is worshiping him and making his name great. And in looking at not just the words of Malachi, but all of scripture as a whole, we see our next point for this morning, which is that biblical, biblical community is a gift from God. Biblical community is an absolute gift from God. And we need to look no further than the events of this last week to see the exact reasons which God has purposed for his church to be his vehicle for taking the gospel to the nations. That how we respond in times like that is exactly what God wants the world to see and ask, well, where would I go in a time like that? Who would I lean on in a time like that? Where would my community be in a time like that? And that as we live out God's word, loving one another deeply, as we love God more, we will be in such stark contrast to the surrounding world that God's presence in us will be undeniable. And this brings us to the next point, which is that biblical community distinguishes us as the people of God. How we relate and love and unite around one another and around God's word will distinguish us from the world around us. And this was God's purpose, that as the people would unite together as the covenant community of faith, that the other nations would see that there was something different and that that something different was the one true God that had united them. And this is the emphasis in Malachi's question of why then do we act treacherously against one another? 
Because these questions are rhetorical. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? These things, these answers are assumed because Malachi moves straight into another, another question. Why then do we act treacherously against one another? That if we are the covenant community of faith created by God, then why are we not acting like it? Now, as we seek to apply these truths, there's an important distinction that needs to be made here. Is in the Old Testament, the covenant people of God is the nation of Israel. And from the New Testament on, that Christ's death, burial, and resurrection establishes a new covenant, that the covenant of people of God is represented by his church, not by a geopolitical nation or people, but by us as his church. And that being said, the truths that apply here to Israel, that we can apply these same truths as us as the covenant community of faith. And that's the distinction that we're, we're making here, that Israel was the covenant community people in this time as a geopolitical nation. But the Lord here in Malachi is saying, I am sending and preparing the way for my messenger. One is coming that will make all things right, that he will be the one true sacrifice. I'm shutting down the temple doors and sh- no longer accepting your offerings because I'm getting ready to make the one true offering which will cover once and for all the sins of the people. And so we must realize what a true gift the fellowship of the saints is. That what we do here on Sundays and Wednesdays is special. It has to be protected. And may we never take it for granted God's grace to us in one another. The life of a disciple is not one of isolation, but one lived in community. Now, we've all had those moments in our life when our natural broken instinct was to isolate and not allow anyone in on what was happening in our lives. But we've all experienced, we've also all experienced what complete joy it is to be in right relationship with God. And community with his people. And so Monday, as Ronnie and I were on our way to Dallas to go check on the McGee's, we had plenty of time to talk. And I tried to, to listen as, as much as I, as I could, as Ronnie has had many more life experiences than me. And I appreciated everything that he shared with me and just our, in, enjoyed our conversation thoroughly. But there was one story that he, uh, in particular, that he shared that I wanted him to share with you. Because any time uh, that we can, I want to provide opportunity for our people to share a testimony of what God has done in their life. So instead of trying to fumble through a retelling of what Ronnie told. I'm going to ask Ronnie if he'll go ahead and join me on the stage. Uh, And he is going to share with you. I've got a mic here for you. All right. So real quick, Ronnie, uh, uh, let me just ask uh, a few questions, kind of guide us through the story. If you will tell us a little bit of First of all, I know it's, you, you've mentioned to me that you've told the story, to, and some people in our church will be familiar with this story, uh, but just refresh their memory and in mine, because uh, I've slept a few times since Monday. Uh, tell us a little bit of how the Lord led you to China and, and what kind of your occupation was and just kind of the events surrounding you finding yourself in China and what that was like. Well, we 
Okay, um, we've got to go back to 1997. Um, I was working domestically here in the States, or actually East Texas, for Texaco. And um, anyway, long story short, I th thought there were some changes coming, and in order not to move my family, I, I'm, we, we as a family, I made a decision to enter the international workforce. And um, so in, uh, I, I applied based on the fact that it was simply a job posting and that my boss told me that I would never get, but that I was supposed to apply for it just to throw my name in the hat for international work. He said, you will never go to this job. First, you've never worked internationally. Secondly, you have never worked offshore. But he said, it's just good to get your name in the hat. And so I threw my name in the hat, and I ended up with the job that I didn't necessarily want, but uh, so in uh, the latter part of 97, I headed to China. All right. And so you didn't necessarily want the job, uh, but you knew and could tell that the Lord was doing something in this midst. And that was your heart in, in um, just approaching this opportunity. And so tell us a little bit of what it was like having to live out your faith uh, in the context in which you were the only Christian that you knew of. Well, yeah, I got to China, and um, I was actually, I, well, I had a lot of mixed emotions. 90, 1997 um, was also the year that I was baptized. So I, I went with a bit of eagerness thinking, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? Um, only to find out later on or figure out after a long period of time there that the main objective of me going to China was that the Lord was going to be working on me, not what I was going to be doing for him. So China, I, I went with a little bit of a, a preconceived idea that it was very restrictive, and, and in many ways it is, but I found out that being worldly in China has no different look than being worldly in the United States or in any other country that you go in. You might speak a different language or dress differently or eat different foods, but the world is the world. And so I found myself uh, very much the minority, in, even in, within my work group, I could not find the fellowship of fellow Christians. And uh, I was working offshore, and as I explained to the pastor and to others, I was, I was in, a desert, I felt like I was in a desert in the middle of the South China Sea. I was in a desert longing to meet someone that I could share or talk uh, about Christ and things going on in my life or their life or going on around us. I desperately needed that. And so if you, and that's just been a tremendous statement that you shared uh, of 
feeling like you were in a desert uh, among the sea spiritually. And so would you share with us how the Lord provided you with community and just what that experience was like, what that felt, and then also how the Lord provided an opportunity for you to strengthen and encourage someone uh, in the faith. Yeah, I was on probably my third trip over or maybe my fourth, I don't remember. Um, I, uh, I felt as though the Lord was telling me at the point to take a Bible with me to China, Chinese print Bible, which I ordered, I packed it away. And considering that it was technically illegal for me to take a Bible into China, but ultimately, you know, I prayed about this a lot and I said, well, whatever happens, Lord, this, I feel like you're calling me to take one. I'm going to take it. I took it with me, um, ended up on a platform in the South China Sea. We were working on a well. And my prayer was, Lord, um, I don't know what this looks like. I'm, I'm just a country boy from East Texas, and I have no idea what this is going to look like. So you're going to have to show me very clearly what you want me to do. But I kept praying also for fellowship. I had zero fellowship on this platform. There were some other expats working out there with me, but uh, it quickly, I quickly became known to them as one that did not um, speak their language any longer. So um, this went on. I was out there approximately three weeks and I got, we finished up a well. They pitched us overboard onto a work boat, sent us chug-a-lugging along through the South China Sea to the next platform that we were going to work on, hoisted us up. And um, I went to the, the, the leader or the supervisor in charge of the platform. All platforms had U.S. Uh, supervisors, Medding. He told me they were full. It was the smallest platform out there. He's gonna, I was going to have to bunk with him in his room in the bunk beds. So I went and took my stuff up, opened the door, and there was a little bitty small desk, very narrow, because we're talking about two of us living in a closet. And um, there was a Bible laying on the desk. And all of a sudden, you know, I just felt this relief, this joy of just the fact that there was a Bible laying on a desk. Put my stuff away, went back down, told him, hey man, I see a Bible laying on your desk. And uh, he said, oh yeah, he said, I read it every day. And I thought, man, and this, you know, come to find out he was from South Louisiana, uh, knew the Lord, enjoyed the Lord, prayed with the Lord every day, spent time in the Lord, in his word, and I thought, man, this was fabulous. I mean, I could stay here for quite a while and talk. But I asked him ultimately, I said, do you have any other Christians on board? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, we do. Our camp boss, and the camp boss was the guy that was over all the, all the crews that cleaned, cooked, did everything like that. He said, our camp boss is a Sri Lankan, uh, and he's a Christian. He said, I would suggest that you go meet him. He, he said, he speaks very good English. So I took off for the galley, found a little gentleman coming through the door, and I said, I'm looking for Bernard. And he said, well, I am Bernard. 
And I said, well, I understand you're a Christian. He said, well, yes, I am. Are you? And I said, yes, I am. And uh, I said, let's visit. So the Lord really just answered prayers. I mean, that here I am. I had fellowship. I had people to talk to and pray with. And uh, it was just this huge relief to be able to meet these guys. And Bernard was, he had been desiring a Bible in his own language that he could use also to continue his ministry to Chinese nationals. Exactly. I mean, Bernard had been out there for quite a while. I talked to him. I went back to the galley that afternoon. We sat down. We had a long conversation. I was asking him about his country and his faith. And and then I asked him, I said, have you ever had an opportunity to witness to the Chinese? And he said, yeah. He said, often. He said, at night we would sit and I would share. And he said, as a matter of fact, the last platform I worked on, he said, I worked, I spent quite a bit of time with the Chinese doctor on the platform. And uh, he said, we had a, he said, we had many wonderful evenings and I'd read the scripture and explain things about them. And, and then Bernard kind of got quiet and he kind of bowed his head and he said, he said, but I let this man down. He said, I'll let this man down. And I said, Bernard, how could you share scriptures and spend time and have let anybody down? And he said, well, he said, he said, before I departed, he said, we were meeting one night. And he said, I promised this man that I would find him a Bible in his own language. And he said, I've been unable to find one. And uh, I said, Bernard, I have a Chinese print Bible. I have a Mandarin Bible in my offshore bag. And he looked at me and he said, is it, is, is it for sale? <laughs> I said, no. I said, but I know exactly where it's supposed to go. So I took off. I went up and got the Bible, brought it to him. And he said, oh, he said, how oh, incredible. He said, I'm going to share this. He said, I've got to share this. I'm going to write a letter and put it with this Bible and explain to this man how a promise that a Sri Lankan has made to a Chinese has been fulfilled through an American <laughs> and I'm going to send it in pouch mail which pouch mail was delivered between the, the platforms every day by helicopter. So he delivered it, sent it off and a couple of days later we were talking and I said, Bernard, whatever, whatever happened, did you hear anything? He said, oh brother, he said, I'm going to tell you, he said, you're not going to believe what happened. I said, what? You know, I, could, I was imagining the worst. He said he received it. I got word that he re, from him that he received it. And he said 24 hours later, he was reassigned to mainland China. So Bible got to where God wanted it to go. Um, it certainly wasn't anything that I did. Um, I mean... It was 
it was just God's orchestrating this whole thing. And that's, uh, but it was so powerful and uplifting to me. One minute I'm in this very desolate feeling place. I get connected with Christians, brothers in Christ. And that was, that was just an answer to prayer. But then to have this opportunity to share a word. Thank you, Ronnie. Uh, and just a tremendous testimony of how the Lord provides through his church and what a tremendous uh, gift the church is for us. As Ronnie was able to find encouragement in that moment and then was able to then encourage another believer in the community of faith. And that's what we are seeing here as Malachi is challenging these people with, since all of us have one father, we are all one covenant people together. And since we have all been created by God in his image and, and, and one God created us, why then on earth are we acting treacherously against each other and profaning the covenant of our fathers? And this is the question of why are we taking this for granted? And so Ronnie's testimony provides us with an excellent example of just what a true gift it is to be in biblical community with fellow believers and how uplifting it is and how challenging it is to our faith so that we can walk in accordance with God's word and in God's ways. And we've seen this, as we said, on display this week as we lived it out. This reality that uh, we, we rallied around the McGee's not simply based on our friendship with them or the history that we share or their standing in the community, but based on, based primarily on the truth that we are members of Christ and therefore members of one another. And this is what Jesus himself said in John 13, verses 34 through 35. If you're taking notes, John 13, we see Jesus say, I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So in the covenant community of faith, we are to display the same love shown us by the Father to one another. And so what does this have to do with what we're looking at today? Malachi is asking these questions and making this point because rather than reflecting the goodness of God and how they relate to one another, the people of Israel are doing the exact opposite. And as we continue reading, we're given insight into, into the particular sin in which Malachi is addressing within the community of faith. And we'll continue reading there in verse 11. I know you're saying, how have we only gotten through one verse? <laughs> So, verse 11, Judah has acted treacherously, in, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. So we have something unique going on here in the community. Here we see that because biblical community runs counter to the natural ways of the world, in order for us to maintain unity, love, and worship in the community of faith, it requires accountability. 
which is our next point there on the outline, because this is what Malachi is doing. He is holding the people accountable according to God's word because of something that is going on here that should not be happening. See, to live in community is to open ourselves to hold one another to account. In order for me to love my brother or my sister best, I need to be able to identify where and when they are not living in accordance with God's word and then lovingly guide them back. Likewise, if my brother or my sister comes to me to lovingly guide me back to the truth of God's word, I need to be prepared to humbly submit to what God is doing. And so Malachi here is calling out this sin. The issue which he is addressing is that there were men in the community of faith that were covenant people of God who were divorcing their wives and possibly so that they may gain status or wealth by marrying foreigners who had much status or wealth. So their desire is to divorce their wife and marry some uh, a pagan woman so that they can gain status or wealth. And not only were they sinning by divorcing their wives without cause, they were also going outside the community of faith and marrying pagan women that had, uh, and all of this, to add insult to injury, they were doing so for personal gain. And as I've already pointed out this morning, throughout the book, we're continuously pointed back to God's past action and instruction to gain insight into how or why God is acting in the present. And this is just another example of that. As if you're taking notes, we see this in Deuteronomy 7. And you might be saying, how are we referring back to Deuteronomy again? Well, again, God is constantly pointing them to their foundations as a covenant community of faith. And way back there in Deuteronomy, after Deuteronomy 6, after the Lord has is, is, is issued the, the decree through Moses, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and do this in all places at all times, then we see this in Deuteronomy 7. And when the Lord God brings you into the land you are entering to possess... And then he says, as you destroy all these nations, these pagan nations that are before you, and as you go into the land... The Lord then says this in verse 3, You must not intermarry with them, and you must not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, because they will turn your sons away from me to worship other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will swiftly destroy you. Instead, this is what you are to do to them. Tear down their altar, smash their sacred pillars, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their carved images, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the peoples of the, on the face of the earth. And so Malachi uses their marital unfaithfulness as the chief example for how they have treated their relationship with God the same way. And we see this as we continue reading in verse 13. This is another thing you do. You are covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer respects your offering or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask, why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your, covenant mar she was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. 
So now, the, the, so now that the Lord has made this pronouncement against the priests and the people and has shut down the sacrificial system, this derails this little system that these men had begun. As after sinning against God in so many ways, the attitude of these men was, well, I'll just offer up another sacrifice and be on my way and continue living in my life of sin. And Malachi's response is to call them out. That these men were knowingly and willfully sinning and then expecting God to accept their sacrifices. And now that God has said no more, now these men are distraught. And so Malachi essentially says, dry the tears up because you'll find no pity here. Now, I want us to take note of something, church, that, it can be, that, that should be humbling and, and just challenging to us. Take note that these men were not broken by the righteous judgment being passed down. They were then broken that they could no longer partake in their pleasure and have it excused. Rather than crying over their sinfulness, they are broken at the fact that their sin can no longer be excused. See, when we treat God's grace as a license to sin, we misunderstand God's grace altogether. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer called this cheap grace. And this is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer had to say on cheap grace. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. See, in in a tight-knit community, there are no secrets. So notice how the activities of these men were well known. As as Malachi is referring to this as as a known issue, as a known thing which is happening. Which means that the priests knew what these men were doing, but they were accepting their sacrifices anyway. And this brings up the the next point that I want to point out in our outline this morning, which is that individual sin has communal consequences. That when there is knowing and willful sin and unrepentance within the church, it has consequences. If left unchecked and not held to account, willful and unrepentant sin won't just have an impact on the individual, but will infect the community of faith. And this has been one of the major themes of the entire book so far. That because all these individuals and these groups were knowingly and willfully sinning, they're no longer distinguishable as the covenant people of God. They've profaned their covenant and God's work of uniting them as a people. And in allowing this sin to take place without holding one another accountable, they've shown their lack of love for God and one another. Which brings us to the next point which this this text highlights. And that's that how we relate to one another is a direct reflection of our relationship with God. See, one of, the, one of the primary places where God has ordained that our relationship with him be reflected is in our marriages. And we must protect the sanctity of marriages and families at all costs. And this is primarily what Malachi is addressing. When we profane the covenant of marriage, we pull on the thread that unravels our community. And we see this 
as he says, she was your marriage partner, your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? So what is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. The manner in which they're treating their covenant with their wives was a direct indictment on how they were treating their covenant with God and vice versa. Paul bears the importance of this covenant, this marriage covenant out for us in Ephesians 5. Because just as the relationship between a wife and a husband reflects God's goodness, this reflection is continued in us as his church. That as we unite together, we reflect the goodness of God. And we see to be in community is to be united in our call to love, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then to love others. And all of this was broken at the fall. That moment, the moment that sin enters the picture, we have broken relationship with God and broken relationship with one another. And what was the response of Adam as God questioned them? The woman whom you gave me. And so this instantly, he, he throws the onus of the sin upon her and that it was you who gave her to me. And so this, we see broken relationship from the moment sin enters the picture. And friends, this is it. The reason we have such a hard time relating to one another, the reason we see so much brokenness and divisiveness in the church and in our marriages and in our society is because of sin. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, this is what you've been searching for. The reason you experience so much brokenness in your choices, in your relationships. We have all been created for community, but the community that we desire can only be found first in right relationship with God and second in right relationship with his people, the church. And this is what brings us together. And if that's you and you're tired of that life, if you're tired of the broken relationships and the fractured community, God is drawing you to himself this morning and saying, come home so that he can show you the true abundant life that is found in him and then living in unity and fellowship with his people, the church. And you can respond to that call today by simply turning and believing in him. So what warning does Malachi give to both those who are actively sinning and those who are passively allowing it to happen. Well, he finishes that in verse 16. Is, again, the context is the, the, in referring to the one who acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. He says this in verse 16. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. This reveals our final point for this morning as we conclude, which is that we must proactively guard our hearts and lovingly guide our neighbor. As we watch ourselves carefully and as we seek to not act treacherously. 
that this is the call. To protect the sanctity of the community of faith. By holding this particular sin accountable, this is what Malachi wants them to see, that they are united. But because they are allowing their, uh, the fabric of their, and the foundation of their community, which is the family, to be torn apart in this way, they're infecting the entire community and acting treacherously by profaning their covenant with their wife. They're profaning their covenant with God. And so church, the challenge for us in responding to this message is to see the great importance with which we must treat our gatherings and which our unity must be protected at all costs. But our unity has to come with uniting in accordance with God's word. And so whatever we can do to protect our, uh, to, to protect the fact that we live in accordance with God's word, we have to hold to account each other in accordance with God's word. So that may, may that be what challenges us this morning. And then for those who are not in Christ, my prayer is that you would be challenged to pursue the community that you desire, but that you would find that in a right relationship with God through the work of Christ on the cross. And so as we now move into a time of response, I will challenge you to seek the Lord fervently. And ask, Lord, how would you have me be a part of your community? Show me where I need to protect the community. Or if you need to follow and pursue Christ in a right relationship with him, then respond in obedience to that. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this truth. We thank you for the pure gift that is your church, the covenant community of faith. And as we move into this time of response, help us to do so with, uh, with gratefulness and thankfulness at the community of faith, which you have established here at Southside. And then help us to submit to your work in our community of faith by being active in loving one another in challenging one another, in bearing one another's burdens as we see in Galatians, and in so doing, fulfill the law of Christ. And may your word be what unites us. And then let us be united around your word at whatever cost. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning that does not know you, who you are drawing to yourself, that they would see their sinfulness in light of your goodness and holiness and providing a way and stepping into our brokenness so that we can have a way out of brokenness. That you would help them to see that the, the relationships that they desire can only be made whole in the one who created them. Help us all to respond in obedience in this time. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.